0: This is Ian Sattler, Senior Story
1: Editor at DCU. Hi, this is Mojo DiFilippis.
2: And Christine
1: O'Leary. Hi, this is Kevin Vander. Hi, this is Mayo. Hi, this is Brian Ezra. Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster
3: Mount and Batman and the Mad Monk. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor. Hey,
1: this is Ethan Van <laughs>
3: Skybro. My name is Neil
4: Adams. <laughs> this is Paul Dini. And this is Robert Greenberger. Hey, this is Jerry Robinson. Hey, this is uh, Will Percoccio. This is Adam Beechon, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. I'm your host, Dustin, and today we have with us... This is Nick. And this is Zach. And Josh will be joining us. Uh, We will be playing his uh, reviews for his books, as well as his review wrap-up, but he was not able to join us this time, but Nick is kind enough to sit in for him and give his thoughts about the comics, which is a treat, because Nick uh, is normally on the normal cast, but... Not so much on the comic cast, except for the wonderful BBFBs.
2: Yeah, pleasure to be on here properly for the first time.
4: Yeah. All right, so we've got a bunch of news to cover. We actually are going to be covering the last three weeks since we missed a week there. Uh, so we got a bunch of uh, comics to cover. And, of course, June is that month that, uh, you know, every six months comes along and DC says, hey, we want you to spend a crap load of money. And that's uh, what this month is. So there's a ton of comics to cover. Uh, not so much news, but uh, a decent amount of comics. And hopefully, with this episode being three weeks' worth of comics, we'll actually get back on schedule. And the comic cast will continue every two weeks. So, without further ado, let's get into comic news.
2: What? A problem, hmm, sir. It's not here. What's not here, sir? You know what I'm talking about. The entrance to the Batcave,
3: why is it sealed up? Batcave? I'm sorry, I don't... That's right, Alfred, the Batcave. It's a big hole in the ground with a big car in it that's all black. Remember? Son, you sound upset. Is something the matter? No, no, it's impossible, no.
4: The very first thing we have was from June 2nd. The source announced that the artist on Batman The Return of Bruce Wayne number 4 has changed. Originally, it was announced that Cameron Stewart was going to re-team with Grant Morrison for Issue 4. It appears now that Stewart is off the book and a new artist is on. Georges Janty is the new artist that will be in charge of making Bruce Wayne take on the Wild West. Janti previously worked for Dark Horse on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And you can see it, uh, some examples of his work on the website if you just click on Artist Change for a Return of Wayne Number 4.
2: I'd say that um, this is a little bit worrying so close to this book coming out. but And especially since this is a book that I think a lot of people are looking forward to just because Batman is a cowboy sounds quite appealing. So I hope this is the right decision, but only time will tell.
4: I mean, I'm a fan of Cameron Stewart's work, and I'm, I'm kind of glad that he's coming He's, he's well, we'll get into that in a little bit, but uh, you know, he was taking off this project because he's work, he was working on something else. And at the time when this came out, they weren't saying what the other thing he was working on was. Now we do know what it is, and we'll get into that a little later. But uh, it's interesting because uh, I mean, you know, I'm not super familiar with the work, so we'll have to see it. What we've been shown looks pretty good, but uh, You know cameron stewart stuff's pretty good too so we'll see what happens to the batmobile let's go all right so moving into the next bit of news on june 7th heroes con was uh, the weekend of june 4th through june 6th and comic book resources and newsrama were both at heroes con and compiled all the key points related to the dc universe from the dc nation panel that took place on sunday june 6th The highlights that are batman related there's only a very few but we'll go over them real quick. Uh, Batgirl Cassandra Kane had a plan to keep her around, but Brightest Day changed that. They are now looking at a way to bring her back so she can stay around and have a reason to be around. Uh, Tim will not be joining the Teen Titans. Misfit will be seen later down the line. And the Batwoman series is underway, and they will announce a release date once there are a number of issues complete. So that's pretty much all there was from Heroes Con. Not that surprising that there wasn't a ton. But going over some of these, uh, Tim will not be in the Teen Titans. uh, Didn't really see it happening in any way. Yeah, agreed. There's nothing really there
1: that's not surprising at all. Yeah. Uh-oh. And
2: since I, since I'm sitting in for Josh I'll have to say Cassandra Kane fans are probably going to be very disappointed that uh, there's still no plan to bring her back. I see I don't think there was really any plan to bring it back and they just use this as maybe an excuse to get away with it, but I don't think it's really worked DC. Yeah,
4: I I would have to completely agree with that because I I'm pretty sure uh, the last con which I believe was Wondercon I want to say, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but whatever the last con was, they also were asked about Cassandra Kane and they said, oh, uh, we didn't know what we were going to do with her. So, yeah, we're trying to figure out something. And that was before Brightest Day was announced, Brightest Day was happening, and now we're a month into Brightest Day, and how can they now say, oh, yeah, Cassandra Kane, yeah, her plans got pushed aside for Brightest Day, no, you just didn't actually ever have a plan. That's the reality of it.
2: I think they're just a bit surprised at the amount of people that keep asking the question. They probably thought everyone would just forget about her, but clearly she's a character that people want back. Yeah.
4: Now, there is a, a small little rumor floating around that the white canary that's featured in Birds of Prey is actually Cassandra Kane. I don't see that actually being true, but yeah, that's one of the things that's floating around the Internet right now.
2: Desperation, perhaps? yeah.
4: yeah. And then the last thing would be the Batwoman series is underway. Well, we were pretty sure it would have been underway. I mean, they announced this way back in March, and uh, I can't imagine why it would have taken this long for them not to have it. I think the big thing is uh, a lot of people are getting anxious about why we haven't heard anything yet. And the reason we haven't heard anything is because you got to keep in mind that uh, the art that J.H. Williams is doing for these is probably going to take a lot of time. And the last thing DC wants is to rush him, so they're wanting to get a bunch of issues in the bag, or at least the ones that he's going to be working on completely himself before they announce a release date, so they're not having to push it back and push it back like, uh, I don't know, some other books like we've, we have we know uh, ever, all about all the time being pushed back. <coughs> Kevin Smith. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, besides that, yeah, that's pretty much it.
1: It's funny that you just mentioned Kevin Smith. I for- completely forgot that book even existed until you said something.
4: Oh, you know, you know the best thing is uh, September, they just released the solicitations for September, and they have Batman The Widening Gear Volume 1 uh, solicited. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, Volume 1's coming out. We haven't even had a full six issues come out because this has been going on for over a year now. There's Wait, the, the sixth issue never came out?
2: I don't think
1: so. Oh, okay. is, this, I, is
2: this series series officially still going, then?
1: Well, I remember what it was, is they would have the first six issues, and then there was going to be a break, and then he would have right. another six issues. Right. But no, oh. they didn't mention how long that break was going to be, though, either. But, I mean, I didn't know that. Ten,
4: ten years. Uh, so, when they first announced Batman Widening Gear last May, they originally said... Book one, which is... They were breaking the series, like Zach just said, into two books. Book one will run from August 2009 to January 2010. So here we are in June. Then it said it will take a six-month hiatus. Oh, wait, we have already, I guess, taken that six-month hiatus. And then book two will run from July 2010 through December 2010. And the whole reason they were doing this was because... They didn't want the book to be late, and they wanted to make sure Kevin Smith had plenty of time to get the book out without making the book delayed constantly. And (laughs) look, yeah, I guess uh, six issues you can't even get through. Why wouldn't they just make it bi-monthly, and then by the time
1: it gets the six issues every other month, you just do that with the next volume? Why break it? Why break it up? Because nobody's going to remember what the hell happened the first six issues in July. But who cares, because that book sucks anyway. So what are we talking about it for?
4: True. (laughs) All right, so moving along. uh, June 11th, uh, Comic Book Resources continued their Bat Signal segment that they're doing on their site with an interview with Mike Martz. While most of the talk was about issue 700, there were some mention of things to come in the future. Now, Nick will read for Comic Book Resources, and Zach will read for Mike Martz.
2: Let's talk about what's next. Grant is getting ready to put a lot of pieces back in place to see Bruce in the present, specifically in issues 701 and 702, coming up with Tony Daniel again. At what point in the creation of this whole thing did you guys decide to turn back to that gap between RIP and Final Crisis?
1: There are a lot of things going on at the same time right now. The two-parter in Batman is the last chapter of R.I.P. and bridges that gap to Final Crisis. But you've also got the ongoing plot in Batman and Robin with the reveal of the Joker and the presence of Dr. Hurt out there. Then there's also the return of Bruce Wayne and Bruce's presence throughout time. The three things may seem separate, but they are all important spokes of the wheel for a lack of a better term that all lead to the center, the hub that Grant is leading towards. And no one spoke is greater than the other. They're all leading in the same direction, and it's all very intentional in the way it's laid out.
2: We're just around the corner from September solicitations, which means a new artist for Batman and Robin. We know that at one point Frank was going to come back for an arc, but is there anything you can say about what's on tap there? Not
1: yet. Not yet. Issue 16 of Batman and Robin will be an artist that we know from Grant's Batman projects. It's someone readers are already familiar with, but we can't say just yet who that'll
2: be. We spoke last time about how the whole Batman line has a role to play in Bruce Wayne's return. We recently found out how Paul Dini's Streets of Gotham story will delve into some of Bruce's past with Tommy Elliot and even further back... Have you started to see other books fall into a similar pattern or place to prepare for Grant's next phase?
1: Yeah. We've been planning different things in each of the titles, and each of the titles is moving towards a similar spot, preparing for the eventual return of Bruce Wayne, but each one is approaching it differently depending on who the main characters are. The story for Red Robin will be different than it will be for Catwoman and Gotham City Sirens, and the same thing goes for Asriel and Outsiders and Tommy Elliott. They're all different characters which with ties and relationships with either Bruce Wayne or Batman so each title is approaching things differently.
2: After reading Fabian's first issue of Red Robin the book feels like Tim as a character is rotating back towards Gotham and that seems like something that will reach out across some of the other books after Battle for the Cow shattered so much of what we expect from the city do you plan on pulling that cast back together?
1: That's intentional and we're drawing closer to the end of the return of bruce wayne series the characters in the various titles are kind of gravitating back towards gotham city that being said with books where locations outside of gotham are important we won't be abandoning that we will be returning to other locations for example part of the flavor of red robin is the very james bond jason Bourne feel to it the idea that we can be cosmopolitan and visit different exciting locations that'll still be a part of the book and likewise with Azrael, while Michael Michael Lane's adventures will begin in Gotham City. The nature of who he is and what he's about will take him to exotic locations around the globe. I love how everything's intentional too. Like they've all planned this out for 4 years ago. They were all all there. This is how we're going to do this.
4: Yeah, they knew that, but they didn't know exactly what was happening with Cassandra Kane. Yeah. <clears throat> Just saying. Anyway, uh so, it's interesting, uh, going back to his question about issue 16 of Batman and Robin. Um, so, we do know who, in fact, will be on Batman and Robin number 16. will, in fact, be Cameron Stewart. And that was obviously the project that he was working on that he was not going to be able to do, issue 4 of Return of Bruce Wayne. Well, I imagine it's that, since that's the only thing solicited that he's working on right now. Or, you know, in the future. What's interesting is the solicitation for... Number sixteen of Batman Robin, which reads, Don't miss this fantastic finale as Batman Robin's storyline connects with the return of Bruce Wayne. The climatic showdown between Batman and the Black Glove is finally here. It's payback time for the Dark Knight as Batman Robin face the ultimate evil. Will Damien betray his father's legacy? Will Bruce Wayne return just in time to see Dick Grayson die? Plus, the Joker and Professor Pig. This is only the beginning of a startling new status quo for the Batman
1: yeah well we know um, DC's a little they're usually a little behind on their solicitations and correcting them we know that with Streets of Gotham
4: oh yeah so and, yeah. Uh, and you know Gotham City Sirens the last couple months yeah. um, so yes I'm not real sure the finale maybe this is going back to what Grant Morrison kept saying in all those interviews about how it's the end of the season because he's treating his comic books like TV shows now I don't know but uh, yeah, interesting, interesting stuff there. It's a finale. We'll see how f- finale. Hope it, hopefully it's better than the finale of Lost. <laughs> Say that. <laughs> yeah, an actual conclusion would be nice. Yeah. yeah, I know. All right, so the only other thing we've got, uh, the solicitations are out, and we're just gonna hint over some of these uh, solicitations. Batman is going to be written by Peter Milligan. Didn't see that coming. And the art's going to be by Tony Daniel.
2: I thought uh, Tony Daniel was going to be back on the book. I guess not. Was Peter Milligan the guy who wrote that Batman Confidential story with the in one Russia? that
1: you declared the worst team? Yeah, or
2: I thought it was <laughs> the worst. It was the worst thing last year. And he's on Batman now, is he? Yes. Jesus. Well, They've can't wait it. for that.
4: All right. So we'll continue to have Batman <laughs> Odyssey. The only other things worth mentioning is uh, we continue on Batman Return of Bruce Wayne. The last issue comes out. Batman Robin 16, as we just said, the finale, the fantastic finale. Red Hood, Batman Beyond, Asriel number 12, still going. Jesus Christ. Still going. <laughs> the whole year of that book is absolutely... I'm flabbergasted. Uh, so... Then we've got Gotham City Sirens, which, oh wait, we don't have Paul Dini on it. They actually solicited it as Tony Bedard will be on the book instead of Paul Dini. So they, they finally might have caught on and realized that it's not worth putting soliciting Paul Dini because they're losing money when they do that.
2: Knowing uh, knowing the streets of Gotham and Gotham City Sirens, it will probably actually be Paul Dini, even though he's not solicited. Probably. Red Robin... Another Red
4: Robin normal issue. Uh, we do see uh, Ulysses Armstrong, the original the General, and the, the more recent he's been Anarchy comeback. Now, one thing I noticed as looking over some of these things is, for some reason, the month of September is having a very distinct uh, feel to it. It's almost feeling like it should be October. Batgirl has Dracula guest starring. Uh, outsiders, we know that there's been vampires in. Uh, We also know that Batman Confidential has vampires and werewolves. Uh, I'm not sure what the deal is with these vampires. I don't know if DC's decided, hey, we're going to jump on the Twilight bandwagon or what, but it's really annoying. Outsiders will continue to come out, unfortunately. Uh, which I have to make a mention about that in a second and then uh, uh, Birds of Prey will not have Ed Bendis it will be done by Alvin Lee he'll be guest starring as the artist and then uh, Superman Batman uh, we have Judd Winnick on the book not seeing how that's going to work but uh, Winnick on the book and interestingly enough uh, you know Superman Batman which was hyped up at the end of last year is the series that will finish up storylines from the past and Fill in holes that you question. Uh, now is going to be in back in continuity. I don't. I don't get it. They are going to be telling a story that involves return of Bruce Wayne and how Batman, or and then how Superman remembers the fall of the Dark Knight as Dick Grayson took over. But you see, yeah, if you listen to Mike Martz, it was all intentional. Okay, so going back to the Outsiders comment, all I have to say about Outsiders is this. I've determined at this point that Outsiders is no longer a Batman title. As of this month, we will no longer be covering Outsiders. Uh, we will cover Outsiders number 30, because it already came out. But we will not be covering Outsiders after this month. And it, I, you know, I, I wish I could say it had to do with the fact that it doesn't have to do with Batman, but it's really just because it really blows, and... Uh, it has nothing to do with Batman. Um, that's the reality of it. I really should have just stopped covering this book after they took they changed the title from Batman and the Outsiders to The Outsiders. But there was a couple issues where Alfred was around and it was still involved. And there was a couple issues where they were still in Gotham. They were doing things in Gotham. And now it's a completely different story ever since Dan DiDio got on the book. And we won't be covering it anymore because it's not it's not a Batman book anymore. So... You will no longer be seen on the upcoming releases section starting in July. And we won't be covering it on the podcast. And we probably won't even be talking about it other than to find out that Dan DiDio gets fired by DC Comics for putting on such a crappy book. Unfortunately, they're going to miss out on some really good outtakes if we would have kept reviewing that book. But
2: Hey. 110 good job
4: have a nice day all right so that's all the news we've got let's get into our upcoming trade paperbacks for the next two weeks
3: what have you got for me
4: all right so on june 23rd there's a couple different things coming out the first one being world's finest members of superman and batman families collide in this tale exploring the relationships of heroes who make up the most popular dynasties in comics Collecting the recent four issue miniseries, plus DC Comics Presents number 31 and Action Comics number 865. This will be 144 pages and be $14.99. The other thing we've got, which isn't a trade paperback, which hasn't been hyped at all, so I don't know exactly what this is gonna, ha- how this is going to work, but Batman Arkham Asylum Madness, an original Batman graphic novel set in Arkham Asylum from Sam Keith, creator of the Max. It is the most feared house in all of Gotham City. It contains the worst that the city has to offer. It is the place that the Dark Knight's most dangerous and psychotic foes call home. Writer-artist Sam Keith, creator of The Max and artist of the acclaimed miniseries Lobo Highway to Hell, invites you to spend 24 hours in Arkham Asylum, the most unsettling house in the DC Universe. This will be 112 pages and be 1999. No, well, I'm actually really excited about this if it ends up too. I up just want to know how we have not heard a thing about it and it's coming out in in two just weeks. over a week, yeah, yeah, just over a week.
2: Has it got anything so, to do with Sam Keith's uh quite weak confidential run perhaps
4: i I don't know. I don't know if that has something to do with it or if it has to do with the fact that uh wasn't bad before, until it ended, yeah, that's true, yeah. Alright, so the last thing we've got is on June 30th, uh, Batman Elegy Deluxe Edition. In her first hardcover collecting tales from the Detective Comics 854 through 860, Batwoman battles a madwoman only known as Alice, inspired by Alice in Wonderland, who sees her life as a fairy tale and everyone around her as expendable. Batwoman must stop Alice from unleashing a toxic death cloud over Gotham City. But Alice has more up her sleeves than just poison, and Batwoman's life will never be the same. be 192 pages and be 24.99
2: I don't know how many times they can release this book we'll see keep on is it trying to break uh, the killing jokes record I think maybe
0: yes I suppose I do owe you that much detective since in many ways you are responsible for it
2: all right so that's gonna be
4: all we've got let's get into our comic reviews we're gonna start off with Batman Confidential
1: Batman Confidential number 45 written by Kevin Van Hook with artwork by Tom Mandrake. The issue opens with Batman and Dimitri continuing to fight the army of undead corpses that Combs has released with a spell. Eventually Combs' spell wears off and the corpses collapse, leaving the two free to go. The two begin to search the museum for Combs, but they learn that he has already escaped. We cut... Not far outside the city where we see Combs rowing a boat through a swamp infested with crocodiles. He reaches a shack that's windows are lit with red lighting. He enters the shack where he reports to these two older uh, voodoo-looking masters called Izili and Effa uh, that he has risen the dead and done what they've asked. The one takes a drink of some sort of potion that using the head of Combs's former partner and transforms into a much stronger and the larger man. We cut back to New Orleans where we see Batman investigating further into the Combs matter, and he discovers the information on Izzilli and Effa and decides that he can't do this alone. Later that night we see Bruce at the French Quarter at a party with a f- the female reporter. He leaves the reporter, walks out on the balcony and calls Clark Kent and explains the recent events and how similar they are to the vampires and werewolves and he needs their, ho- their help. Clark says that he will be in New Orleans tomorrow, and that is battling confidential number
3: 45. Looks like a slow night, Alfred. When I finish patrolling this area, I'm heading home.
0: Excellent timing, Master Bruce.
3: I've just taken dinner out of the oven. Looks like trouble at Tarnauer Financial, Alfred. I won't be home early after all. <sighs> Please don't take this the wrong way, so that
4: your goose is cooked.
2: Now it's time for The Joker's Asylum, The Riddler, which is written by Peter Calloway and art by Andres Guinaldo. And uh, the story begins with Joker, and he's in his cell at Arkham Asylum, and he's decided he's going to tell us a story about The Riddler. And we learn that The Riddler, whilst robbing an art gallery, meets a younger girl who's one of his hostages, and he falls in love with her. Batman arrives, however, and disrupts The Riddler's plans, but he, The Riddler, manages to escape thanks to a diversion involving a bomb uh, and the girl gets away as well and the girl jessica soon becomes the riddler's obsession he starts sending her flowers and chocolates and jewelry and he also pays off a loan in the hope she will love him back however she finds him a bit creepy and disgusting doesn't really want anything to do with him uh, the riddler starts to get a bit desperate and a mysterious batman villain arrives and the riddler talks to him and uh, the joker doesn't tell us who this villain is and so each In each panel, we get a different Batman villain, so it's Two-Faced, Penguin, Harley Quinn. But the Riddler's not interested in this proposition from this mysterious person due to his current love problem. Uh, He keeps trying to figure out a way to get Jessica to start to love him, and he tries to change his ways to become a man that she'd like. But Jessica then gets... uh, Her dad arrives at her house uh, at gunpoint with this mysterious Batman villain holding a gun to his head, telling Jessica to go to the Riddler and tell him that she loves him or her dad's gonna get killed. She does this, and the riddler's happy at first, but soon realizes that the riddle of Jessica is solved, and he gets bored with the answer, and doesn't really, isn't really interested in her anymore. The riddler decides then to go in on this mysterious villain's plan, but the police are tipped off and arrest the riddler. Jessica's father is killed and the figure walking away from the father with the gun looks very similar to the Riddler but the Joker at the end of the story doesn't reveal the identity of the villain to us trying to keep it a bit of a mystery and that is the Joker's Asylum the Riddler. So Mr. Nemo, what's on your mind? Precisely!
3: What's on all our minds?
4: Alright so that's going to take us into Detective Comics number 865. So we start off right where the last issue in 864 left off, where uh, Jeremiah Arkham is standing over the beauty's bodies with a knife in his hand, and they're all bloody. And he says to Batman, "What kind of monster are you, letting me kill them?" He then proceeds to say to Batman, "Are you blind? How can you, how can you, how can you have let me do this?" And Batman says, "I didn't let you do anything." And Jeremiah says, "No, you let me kill them." And he finds out that the knife he's holding is actually a Marat. The little Joker stick thing that he had. The previous parts of the story. And he hands it to Batman and he says, Well, where's all this blood come from? And he finds out he's hallucinating. Then we find out that uh, Aaron Cash knew from a while back that these people did not actually exist. Arkham continues on and says, But I left the meals here every day. He said, Yeah, I found them. They were all rotten in a st- storeroom in the back. Um, I installed a closed circuit TV. And there's nothing on any of the things of anybody ever being here. They show him the video, and it's actually him stabbing air with uh, this sh- the jester stick that he's got. Picks up the jester stick and ends up cracking in half, and he gets gassed. And it turns out it's the same gas that Black Mask used to create his false face slaves. Then Arkham is in the infirmary, and Batman is telling him, Do you remember what you did now? And he says, Yes, I remember everything that I did. And he said... Okay, then we need to figure out how this all started. Well, it turns out that Hugo Strange, when uh, Arkham was trying to... Actually was working with the Joker, and the two of them created a way to like mess with Arkham so that Arkham would go nuts. And what they did was, Hugo Strange had this chemical that he could genetically manipulate people with... And he gave it to the Joker, and the Joker put in the stick. The stick, which is the Jester stick, was given to Arkham by the Joker, and over time, the chemicals seeped through the stick and into Arkham, and giving Hugo Strange the ability to actually manipulate him. So whether or not Black Mask was actually a puppet of Hugo Strange or not, we don't really know, and nobody really knows at this point. Batman then says, uh, well, what about... The Joker, what did he have to do with this other than giving you the stick? And he said, well, he created this uh, twisted hallucination of the jo- uh, of the jester for me. And then Batman then says, well, you should give us the code for this, this guy who was supposed to do these things, these financial district things for you. So Jeremiah Arkham gives him the code. The guy types the code in. Just as he types it in, he blows up. So it turns out that coincidentally the assumption is that the bomb actually went off because he didn't have the code in time when in reality it was the code that Arkham gave him that actually made him blow up. Batman leaves to go talk to Gordon and as he's leaving he says to Alice Sinner we have to make sure that we don't take anything at face value it would be a mistake to think he's cured. She says "Uh, don't worry he'll be kept under surveillance. I've got some good news for myself that I'm going to go celebrate because I have just been promoted to the director of Arkham. Batman then goes visits Commissioner Gordon and says, I can't believe you guys voted her in. And he said, it was a majority vote and I abstained. Um, unfortunately she was one of the few people on the list and there's not a whole lot of things we could have done. Then we cut back to Arkham Asylum where Alice Sinner is talking to Jeremiah Arkham and she's trying to figure out whether or not he's actually the Jeremiah Arkham timid man or whether or not he's the black mask that she fell in love with. She then says that uh, Zaz is next door. Zaz actually comes in the room and says, look what I found. Batman comes to Arkham Asylum, and we are under the assumption, as Batman's storming through the building, that Zaz is murdering Jeremiah Arkham. And it turns out that Jeremiah Arkham has actually tied Zaz to the bed, cut his eye and we're reminded of a a saying from back in the time when uh, Zaz said that he was going to kill Arkham, and when he did, he was going to put a mark in the inside of his eye. Well, that's exactly what Jeremiah did, only he wasn't killed. He put this mark inside his eyelid for him. He's put into solitary confinement, and Alcindor comes in and says, I'm glad that you are who you are, and uh, they kiss, and they look in the mirror, and as they look in the mirror... Jeremiah Arkham sees himself as Black Mask. All right, so then we get into the question co-feature, which I can sum this up in a very few sentences. Huntress and the question did something to Vandal Savage, making him bleed, his eyeballs not there... And he tells them you have to decide which one of you is going to take the mark because I need to heal uh, So Huntress and question go up and they start discussing this and they're both saying that they can both do it and They both say well, you know, we could actually run we could just do this and Huntress decides to knock the question out go down take the take the mark and as she's taking the mark the question comes in and They set the fire place on fire they leave, leaving Vandal Savage in the fire. And as they leave, uh, Huntress says, well, I didn't get the mark, so take off your mask. And she says, maybe later, so we're to assume that there's a good chance that now she has the mark, Vandal Savage. And that's the question code feature, which is Detective Comics 865. Who, who are you? I'm your worst
3: nightmare.
2: All right, that's going to bring us to Red Hood Lost Days number one, written by Jeb Winnick with art by Pablo Ramondi. And it opens uh, years ago with Raz Al Ghul, and Talia, and they're talking, and Raz mentions that Jason Todd has died and that he was killed by the Joker. And uh, Talia asks how Bruce Wayne is, and Raz says he doesn't know, but he's probably grieving. And then months later, we learn that Jason Todd's been found and he's in a very bad state uh, he does, he seems to be in a bit of a zombified state they realize uh, that he does have some talent fighting and Ra's decides to keep it a secret from the detective uh, Bruce uh, Jason suffered some sort of brain damage and only fights when provoked except from when Talia tries to hurt him for some reason he won't attack Talia it's a mystery there uh, Talia speaks to Jason about how much uh, Batman cared for for Jason Todd and, and Dick Grayson and how they were lights in his life and and helped him develop but Raz has decided there is nothing to learn from Jason after a year of investigating where he came from and how he came back to life and wants to get rid of him uh, Raz heads downstairs to his Lazarus pit and uh, he claims to Talia on the way that she's only interested in Jason because she wants Jason Todd to love her Found that a little bit confusing and disturbing. But Talia ends up writing a letter for Jason and sneaks him downstairs and just tells him how much he is meant for something. And time will tell what that is. We don't know what it is yet. And they head down to the Lazarus Pit as well in the middle of the night. And Talia throws Jason into the Lazarus Pit. And that's the end of Red Hood Lost Days, Issue 1.
1: And that's going to take us to Superman Batman Annual Number 4 in by Paul Levitz with artwork by Renato Guedes. And this is the Batman Beyond issue. The issue opens with Terry McGinnis in the Batsuit taking care of a couple of muggers. Terry then asks one of the muggers why he, why he is in Gotham and not Metropolis, to which the mugger replies, I don't want the ghost to get me. We then see Terry discussing the ghost with an aged Bruce Wayne who is not surprised by the ghost response. Terry heads back to the Batcave where the two begin looking for patterns in the recent crime rates where they find that drug busts of criminals with Metropolis backgrounds are up 72%. We then cut to Terry back in the Bat Suit, observing Gotham City's Central Station. McGinnis spots a group of suspicious men who are being attacked by members of the Joker's gang. One of the suspicious men turns out to be Metallo who makes a quick who makes quick work of the jokers and then flees the scene just as metallo is about to bust another drug deal batman swoops in and lands at one good shot sending metallo into the river leaving terry with the bag of drugs while in the Batcave cave examining the drugs bruce discovers the pills metallo has contained kryptonite in them terry quickly heads for metropolis where he quickly begins to bust drug deals containing the kryptonite radiated pills terry continues to search for answers but is unsuccessful Bruce tells him to begin searching for an old friend, referring to Superman. Terry finds Superman at the grave of Lois Lane, who died ten years ago. We see a very bitter and gray Superman who has seemed to lose all hope in humanity. Through Superman's inner monologue, we learn that while Starro controlled Superman, it gave Lex Luthor enough time to take control of the city and pollute it with kryptonite. As Superman flies over Metropolis, he sees several burglars breaking into a chemical plant to gather more materials for drugs. A cop tries to stop them, but is killed. Following the cop's death, all the men suddenly become transparent and they then just disappear. Terry investigates the scene and decides to do a little undercover work and try to work his way to the top of this drug ring. We then cut to Bruce telling Terry that it's a setup and a trap. Apparently, he has been assigned to raid Superman's fortress. Bruce warns Terry that the only top boss in Metropolis couldn't even be stopped by Superman. We then see Terry aboard a helicopter with a group of other men. They are debriefed and then shoot down a rope out of the helicopter and make their way into the Fortress of Solitude. They only want the solar power concentrator, and Terry is handed it and sent back to the helicopter. However, while still there, other men begin to become transparent and disappear, and only Terry and one other mercenary make it out alive. The helicopter takes Terry to some large and foreign building where inside Terry meets an age Lex Luthor for the first time. However, Luther knows who Terry really is, and Terry is quickly grabbed by some sort of robotic tentacles that shoot out of Luther's hovering chair. Luther explains that Batman has also served another purpose in his plot, and Superman arrives. As Luther and Superman argue, Luther activates his new super-soldier, or like the soldier calls himself, the Improved Generation. The robotic Superman is easily, han- is easily handling Superman because of the large amount of kryptonite in- that is concentrated in the room. Terry is able to endure the pain and locate the kryptonite, which is in Luther's hovering chair. Batman quickly hops onto the chair, pulls Luther off of it, and sends it flying into the wall where it is destroyed. After this happens, Superman is able to regain his strength and defeat the robotic version of himself rather easily. Superman then exchanges a few words with Luther and decides to let Luther spend some time in the Phantom Zone and zaps him like he has with the rest of the other criminals. Superman tells Batman that he is soon leaving Earth in search of other worlds he has never seen before his time is up. Superman gives Terry the signal to call him if he is ever needed again. He tells Terry that he will be keeping an eye on him. He then tells Terry, see you in the stars, and Terry says to himself he lived happily ever after somewhere in the beyond. And that is the end of Superman
3: Batman Annual Number 4. Decent people shouldn't live here.
2: They'd be happier someplace else.
4: Alright, so that's gonna take us into Batman number seven hundred. This story, this issue was oversized, but it does cover it's a actually a pretty good story, but it's actually three parts. First part features Bruce Wayne, the second part Dick Grayson, and this third part Damian Wayne. So the first part is says yesterday, and we see Batman being chased by some, some flying winged Egyptian creatures. And he shouts, Professor. Then we cut to Batman, who's being... His mind is being controlled by a machine, and a bunch of uh, Batman's villains are around him and Robin, who are tied down to these chairs, along with Catwoman. These villains, including Riddler, Joker, Scarecrow, Mad Hatter, and then Catwoman's there as well, are telling Professor Nichols what to do and what to change uh, so Batman can go back in time and change different... Events in history and find different things Um, as we proceed we find out that what happens is joker's about to have professor Nichols Send him send Batman Robin back in time and right before that he decides he's going to give them a bunch of fear gas and He's actually contemplating cutting a big smile into the face of Robin professor Nichols actually lets Batman out and Batman takes them out as the police show up and take control of all of the villains. The Joker tries to put on the hat, hoping that he'll get he'll go back in time. And in fact, he's just caught and taken away. Professor Nichols uh, receives a joke book as a souvenir for helping with taking out the the villains. Since Batman and Robin were incapacitated in the co- in the in the seats, so then as they're driving away, Batman tells Robin, "The present is now, and there was never a choice. Uh, nothing can be changed." of what's already happened, and then he says, as what the future holds, I don't want to really want to know whether or not that can be changed. So then we cut to today, where we have Dick Grayson as Batman and Damian as Robin. And we see them talking to Gordon, who is in a basement room. And he says that the victim is Professor Carter Nichols. And it says he was shot in the heart with no sign of a weapon. And the basement was locked from the inside. Batman proceeds to look at Nichols and says, Well, Nichols would have been in his 60s. This guy is at least 80. It doesn't make any sense. So they go off and then we see Batman and Robin going to Park Row, to place a wreath next to the street pole where Martha and Thomas Wayne were murdered and Damien says well what are we doing and he says we're doing this because this is what Bruce would have done if he was still around and the fact that we know he's not dead means it should have been it should be done whether or not he was dead or not a couple run up to Batman and Robin and say there's a bunch of bad dudes coming and Very quickly, Batman takes them out. And interestingly enough, these uh, bad dudes look very similar to the people that we know from Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns. They are even wearing the same glasses. They take them out. Batman proceeds to tell the couple as well as the uh, pimp there that uh, tonight is a clean night. Don't do anything tonight. And the pimp says, no dealing, no hustling, no pimping, etc. Tonight is a bad night. And uh, Batman says, spread the word. Then we get a uh, cutscene of Batman and Robin doing a number of different things, taking out somebody who's robbing a deli, uh, helping with a fire, eating pizza and drinking coffee at a diner, taking out somebody who had a hostage, and then they're taking somebody to uh, the emergency room And they're trying to get to a auction that's taking place that villains are bidding on different items. And one of the items that's up for auction is actually the Joker's legendary joke book, which Professor Nichols had, which could explain to how Professor Nichols died. Batman shows up, they get the joke book, Batman proceeds to tell Damien, when you're good enough to be Batman, you'll know exactly what happened and how it happened. And you'll be able to solve the mystery of the Locked Room Killer. And then and then Batman says to him, it'll all make sense one day. Now we cut to tomorrow, where we are on New Year's Eve in Gotham. And Damien is now Batman. And he is taking Max, this character Max, which we were introduced to in uh, Batman 666. He's taking him around. He's trying to find Boss January. And he says he's not going to tell him. He refuses to tell him. And... He says, okay, fine, uh, Roboto, Max Robato is his name. You know, you don't have to tell me. Uh, I'll let these uh, cannibal flesh-eater rats uh, come get you. And he says, no, 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 uh, you can't leave me here. And uh, Batman says, well, then tell me where he's at. And he says, okay, so as he's moving closer to him, uh, he spits something on him, which we find out is uh, some kind of chemical that has anti-venom in him. And very easily, once Batman walks away and the... Uh, These rat creatures go to, I guess, eat Max Roboto. He puts it on this little slide, synthesizes an antidote, and that's pretty much it. He goes off, and he finds out that a bunch of people inside of the uh, town are being consumed by a Joker toxin. Everybody in the city is becoming pale with big grins on their face. And They only have a matter of time. We also see that Barbara Gordon is now the commissioner of Gotham City and Damien calls her up and says listen I've got an antidote. She says, you know, I don't I don't like your methods I don't like how you go about doing things, but right now I need you because you're Batman So Batman goes down into the sewers trying to find this January character and he finds these Joker creatures which interestingly enough look exactly like The uh, Joker in the final scene of Batman Arkham Asylum, the video game. And he fights them off very easily using a laser that's called Brother Eye that's up in the sky. It's a satellite that shoots a laser and easily they all get taken out and fried to a crisp. Um, Obviously this Batman has absolutely no problem killing people. We then see a character... That is called Two Face Two. He says that Roboto trained him, and we find out that this is actually January, the character January that Batman was looking for, and he has taken hostage a child, and the child he's taken hostage, he's turned into, he's given the Joker Venom to, and then what's interesting is this character Two Face Two Face or Two Face Two actually has two faces. He has a face on the side of his face. Batman says, "Give him the baby. Give me the baby. Uh, the baby did nothing wrong." You didn't even grab the right baby. That's not even the baby you wanted. Basically, in one chair, we see Nichols, 80 years old, with a gunshot in him. And then we see the baby sitting on him. So he has Father Time and Baby New Year. And what happens is Batman has... They're in Nichols' basement. And what ends up happening is that Two-Face-Two wants the Joker's joke book because he thinks that there's some kind of trick ...as to what exactly is how to control the future and how to change the past. What ends up happening is Batman gives him the book. The book is literally nothing but a a book of uh, jokes. And uh, takes Two-Face Two out. And then all of a sudden we see Professor Nichols show up. And he's a younger version. And he says that he's there to take out, to destroy the equipment... And it all makes sense. Well, the uh, older version of Professor Nichols goes back in time, and that's what we saw 20 years ago. The little child gets an antidote and is turned back into a normal boy, and Damien leaves setting the building on fire. And then we cut to and tomorrow. So further into the future, we see Terry McGinnis, who is now a Batman And he's being told by somebody we can either assume it's Bruce Wayne or we can assume that it's Damien. It's one of the two. And we find out that there's actually a group of Batman in the future. It's not just one Batman. There's actually a number of Batman all over the world and different worlds. And Bruce Wayne or Damien are all watching over them and making sure that they do what they need to do. And we see even Batman of different Earths. So... There's Batman everywhere, and that is the end of the story. There's nothing really else story-wise, but there is a large gallery of photos of covers and and, uh, different art pieces done by various artists. And then there's also a four-page diagram of the Batcave done by Freddie Williams, and that is Batman 700. (laughs)
3: home <laughs> listen boopsie even though you never call
1: and never write i still got a soft spot for you batman the return of bruce wayne number two written by grant morrison and artwork by fraser irving this is part two titled until the end of time the issue opens with a sword wielding bruce wayne fighting off a giant monster he defeats the monster but then passes out he wakes lying in a bed with a young woman greeting him he sees the, a necklace hanging from a tree branch and tries to sound out his name when she interrupts him. She tells him to stay with her and she will love him until the end of time. We then cut to Superman, Booster Gold, and the rest of the team who have reached the vanishing point. seems that they have discovered Omega Energy in the station and asked to use the maps to trail the energy. Luckily, they are just in time and the Archivist is able to help. Superman begins to trail the Omega Energy. We then... C- Cut back to the past in Gotham Colony, we see Bruce, who is known by the villagers as Brother Mordecai, investigating the nailing of a dead bat on the door of a church. Using his detective skills, he questions one mistress, Tyler, because the bat was nailed with a knitting needle. As he further investigates, he discovers some suspicious clothing hanging in the backyard. Bruce is then interrupted by one brother, Malice, who calls for the mistress to be taken into custody. She is being interrogated when Bruce defends her as not being a witch. Brother Malice doesn't agree, and after they argue, Bruce rides off. He then proceeds to meet up with Annie, the young woman who nursed him back to health, he begins to question who he is and where he was before. She quickly quiets him and tells him that anything he remembers from before is a dream. We learn that Annie is a shun woman who, a woman shunned who the civilized villagers fear. Both her and Bruce share something in common. They are both lost. Bruce is at the church being questioned about his prior business before becoming a lawman of God when Brother Malice storms in with rage questioning Brother Mordecai's past. However, he informs Bruce that the dragon has been spotted in the forest. And Bruce then quickly follows them out. In the forest, a witness to the dragon explains what he saw. Brother Malice then asks if Brother Mordecai does not believe that the devil walks among them. Bruce remains rational in arguing that there is no devil among them. They discover the dead body of Matthew Tyler, the husband of the accused mistress Tyler. Bruce sticks with his theory that the wife murdered Matthew with a ladle, while Brother Malice breaks out in fury, saying it could only be the dragon. He also explains that tomorrow an eclipse of the sun is going to occur and they will be ready. This jolts Bruce's memory remembering something about the eclipse, just unsure of what. Malice overhears him and explains that it is the devil's false night and day. Bruce heads back to Annie and begins questioning her. He begins to remember things now. He knows that the dragon is the same monster that attacked him when she found him. He also knows that Mordecai was a dead man that Annie dressed him up in Mordecai's clothes. She explains that she saw Bruce rise from the water like some sort of god from the heavens that she called for. He then demands that Annie take him to where she found him. She takes him to, the, to a cave that he used to house the Bat-People. Bruce remembers the caves and knows that he is, from, he is far from home. He also knows that Annie summoned the dragon to kill Mordecai, the man who was after her. Annie also explains that she asked her gods to send her an avenging angel. She also explains that Bruce rode in on the dragon's back. Just then, Bruce senses a disturbance and suggests that they leave the caves now. The monster then rises from the waters in the caves... Annie runs and Bruce gets set to fight the monster. Annie runs back to her cottage where Brother Malice and others await her. She tells them of the dragon and Mordecai needing help, but Malice declares her a witch and takes her prisoner. He then proceeds to burn her cabin down. Back in the caves, Bruce continues his bout with the dragon with no help. He's able to fight his way free and knows that something terrible has happened to Annie. We then cut back to the vanishing point where the archivist has turned against the others, and we then see the archivist's face transform into Bruce's face. And Superman realizes that Darkseid has taken Bruce's memories and left him to use his survival instincts to get through the Omega Sanction. The Archivist has taken the Time Sphere, the only way for Superman and the others to get back home. We then cut to Gotham Colony again, where Annie is being prepared to be hung. Brother Malice then says, do it, and Annie reveals that she knows Brother Malice's real name, Nathaniel Wayne. She then proceeds to curse Nathaniel and all of his kin until the end of time. Bruce continues to race back, but it is too late and Annie is hung. And as she is hung, Bruce perishes. Bruce then ends up emerging from the ocean, screaming Annie. Bruce crawls his way to shore, where he is confronted by Blackbeard and all of his men. To be continued... Holy hole in a
4: donut! Alright, so that's gonna take us into Gotham City Sirens, number 12. This issue can be summed up very quickly. Uh, Basically, Catwoman um, was looking for her sister Maggie. Maggie has been in Europe uh, looking for an exorcist, a famous uh, Catholic exorcist. She finds her... Uh, is hoping to explain the story, and then is convinced that the exorcist has actually been taken over by a demon as well, and kills her. Uh, she comes back to Gotham um, and confronts Catwoman to basically get the demon out of Catwoman, so that Catwoman is no longer possessed by this uh, possessed by this demon. Um, and that's where we leave off there uh, on the Poison Ivy front. Poison Ivy stuck in the dehydrator, and the person who stuck her there is telling her that she's going to kill her unless she tells her exactly what her reason for doing what she was doing is poison ivy ends up uh, having a trick up her sleeve and switches everything around and ends up putting uh the woman into some vines and telling her you know we could solve this issue by you know you're the only one who figured out who i was we could give you your job back and you could just go on and not have to worry about anything or i could kill your kid um so that's pretty much gotham city sirens number 12. So now we're going to throw over to Josh, and he's going to cover his three books, which will be Outsiders, Batgirl, and Red Robin. Makes you want to laugh, doesn't it, (laughs) Art?
3: Outsiders issue 30, and ooh, what joy. The cover lauds the first appearance I, I hope i think it's the first appearance i hope that this isn't a pre-existing character that somebody was dumb enough to bring back called freight train sounds like a really bad 70s villain the outsiders are entering the united states uh, via canada after leaving markovia and they're being attacked We find out that apparently New Krypton declared war on Earth. Thank goodness I'm not reading more of the Superman. I dropped all the Superman titles. Otherwise, I know what horribleness was going on. Since the Outsiders are known to be associates of Markovia, and since Markovia pledged its allegiance to New Krypton, well, everybody's attacking them. Alfred shows up on the Communicator. Wow, that's the most we've seen him in a while and says, uh, yeah, um... New Krypton declared war on Earth. Master Tim said that Bruce is alive. Uh, you guys are on your own. Bye. Metamorpho gets the idea that maybe they can go to his father-in-law, Simon, but he doesn't really want to turn to him. Over in Markovia, some of the people are not too happy about this whole war and New Krypton allegiance situation, and we get an argument between Force Katana, and Eradicator on what they should do, if they should stand by the people, stand by the country, blah, blah, blah. More horrible dialogue. Well, the outsiders, the rest of them, the ones who left Markovia, land at Simon's place and get attacked by this henchman named Freight Train. Oh, really, really horrible stuff. Until Simon comes and tells him to cease. We do get some exposition from Metamorpho about his relationship with Simon and how... Simon never approved of Metamorpho marrying his daughter, but he agrees to give them sanctuary for the moment because of all this new Krypton stuff. While Metamorpho's sleeping, though, he gets betrayed as one of, one of Simon's henchmen puts something into Metamorpho that weakens him and then throws him into the body of chemo yikes horrible issue better art this time but horrible issue and thankfully this is the end of the batman universe's covering of the outsiders if you want to know what happens next you're on your own for reading issue 31 it's been a fun ride folks we'll see you when outsiders doesn't suck anymore
0: batgirl issue 11 when we last left barbara gordon and Stephanie. The whole city was being overrun by a bunch of the calculators, little techno-zombies, kind of infected everyone, and it seems that he somehow infected Barbara as well, except instead of becoming a zombie, she got encased in some glass computer chippy thing. Well, what is Barbara seeing? Well, she wakes up, and she wakes up and sees Dick Grayson coming out of the shower, and apparently she can move her leg. Something's going on here, everyone's acting like a big happy family... Tim and Dick are playing football. Damien's playing a little video game. Jim Gordon's there. It's like they're cooking Thanksgiving dinner. One-one Bruce is going to show up. Barbara starts to realize that something is up. Uh, She sees the calculator, kind of dressed as the Joker, when she answers the door. Over in the calculator's compound, he's telling— Calculator's giving us some exposition by telling the corpse of his dead son Marvin about his little history with Oracle and about how Oracle made it personal with him. By stealing his daughter away. Stephanie isn't doing so well as she's being chased around by various Gotham heroes, including Catwoman and Man-Bat. She kicks Catwoman's butt, though, and says that she thinks that it squares us, which is in reference, according to the editorial note, from the World's Finest miniseries. Although, I don't see how that squares them, because Stephanie kind of messed things up for Selina in that miniseries, too. If anything, that just means that it's two Batgirls, zero Catwoman. Huntress then goes in for the attack, which uh, it's harder for Stephanie to fight back, but she gets some communications from the firewall, which is where Wendy's been held up. Wendy was able to tap into the communications frequency, and Wendy's wondering if Stephanie is Oracle. Stephanie calls the calculator a jack, but then is embarrassed when she realizes that she's talking to Wendy Harris, the calculator's daughter, who says, it's okay, my dad is a jack. So while Stephanie's formulating a plan... So while Stephanie is attacking the Huntress, the two girls formulate a plan. The only way that she can fight these people is from a lateral angle because they're all over the place. I'm not really seeing how that makes sense. Stephanie escapes from some of the chaos by going into the sewer. While Wendy decides to help by stealing the little Batgirl pod, which luckily has some stuff in there for her to control. You don't need lights to use it. In the sewer, Batgirl goes face-to-face with Man-Bat once again. Meanwhile, in Oracle's dream world, she's in a library. She's kind of dressed like she was in her Silver Age appearances with the necklace, the big long green dress, and the glasses. Her hair is 60 style. Where she runs in the calculator, and they have a battle of the minds where Oracle overcomes him and says that since they're connected to their brains, she can enter into his mind as well. Let's see what makes that twisted brain of yours tick. Yeah, it's... Weird, I'm not really sure what's going on there. Batgirl hangs onto the back of Man-Bat as they fly out of the sewer and towards a military base where Wendy Harris meets up with her with the Batpod while Stephanie's able to incapacitate Man-Bat by getting him electrocuted. Stephanie asks Wendy, used to be a Teen Titan, right? Wendy said was. Whatever, you know how to fly the T-Jet, right? She says, kind of. Fantastic, stay positive like that and we might make it through this as she heads towards a plane. So Wendy takes the plane 40,000 feet up in the air as Batgirl parachutes off of it, getting ready to fight all the zombies to be continued. And it says that next issue is the conclusion of Batgirl rising.
3: Before you throw everyone in the pot, Penguin, you may find yourself in hot water.
0: Batgirl? How did you find this place?
2: I just adore weddings, Penguin.
0: Or funerals before weddings, Batgirl. Get her! Red Robin, issue 13, with a very, very nice cover of Tim... Standing very, very smugly in front of a computer screen of different Gotham City threats like Mr. Freeze, where it'll say if they're incarcerated at large or, in the case of the Joker, unknown. Fabian's back on the book. We're done with that first year of Chris Jost. Tim's back in Robin. Let's see where all these plot threads are. We see three of the Batman sons, Dick, Damian, and Tim, standing on a rooftop getting ready to swing over the city, you know, doing their patrol thing, and Dick reminds the boys to have some fun. Tim thinks about how weird it is to be hearing that from a Batman as he's adjusting to what life is in Gotham now. He goes off on his own and uh, sees Lynx fighting with some of the people, you know, with some of this gang stuff that's going on. Doesn't quite make it on time, but that little situation helps with the decision of his that he's making. What decision is this? Well, Tim has a list now that he's... Rearranged his whole life with all this, is Bruce alive, is Bruce dead stuff. His to-do list, number one, figure out where to live. Number two, figure out what to do. Number three, figure out how to do it. Number four, figure out who to do it with. And number five, figure out how to do it against. Right now, it seems that he's staying at the Wayne Bunker. Because he comes down for breakfast while Damien's doing his workout and Alfred's making everything. Tim and Alfred talk about how it sounds weird, but weird in a good way that Dick Grayson is away on a JLA engagement. Speaking of uh, Tim's to-do list and what his current's going on is in life, as you remember from last issue, he's now currently in charge of Wayne Enterprises. So he goes to a meeting uh, with Lucius Fox where they discuss a few Wayne business, including very, very briefly the Gotham Gazette headline about him being engaged to his Dotam Fox. We don't see everything that happens in the meeting, and the family and Wayne employees kind of ribbed Tim on the engagement, which it looks like everyone knows that it's fake. Tim and Tam agree to talk about the mask stuff later, since Tam does know who he is. And Tim is wondering if she's made the connection that Bruce Wayne is Batman. Red Robin goes into Lynx's territory, where he publicly fights her, because he wants to bring her down in front of everybody to make an example when he goes and ties her up to arrest her, she un- he unmasks her, and it turns out that she's an undercover cop from Hong Kong, and that she was actually infiltrating the gangs, and that Tim is possibly ruining everything, and that he has to let her go. But he decides not to, that it's more important that he makes this example, so he leaves her on top of the Gotham City police car. So he realizes that hit that what he's going to do is be a little more proactive and start going after these villains instead of waiting for them to go after him. And he crosses three things off of his list. Figure out what to do, figure out how to do it, and figure out who to do it against. And that's Red Robin's new mission statement. Here, kid. I think you lost this.
2: I could have handled him.
0: Could have, would have, didn't.
2: You sound just like Batman.
4: I'm nothing like him.
2: Yeah, right. The mask, the attitude, the long underwear. Drop it. I'd love to know what happened between you two. Things change. No kidding. You guys used to be the greatest. Batman and Robin, the dynamic duo.
4: Maybe you should ask him.
2: I did. And you'll never guess what he said. Things change.
4: Now that Josh has done his reviews, it's going to a review wrap up. We're going to make this short, sweet and right to the point. So we're going to go over the books that we've covered, and we're going to give them a quick rating, um, and then only mention important uh, things. Batman Confidential number 45, I don't really have anything to say. Vampires and Werewolves. Uh, I'm going to give this uh, one out of five batterings.
2: Really, really not working for me. I thought this book happened a year or so ago and we all hated it. Why is it happening again? Um, the art doesn't do anything for me. The story is dull. I hope it goes away as quick as possible, but I think it's around for a while. It's one out of five for me as well.
1: Yeah, this is a story not interesting me, and I'll read this in a month from now. I'll completely forget what happened. Uh, one out of five batterings.
4: All right, so that's going to give it one out of five Batarangs. The next one we've got is The Joker's Asylum, The Riddler. I can't say I was a huge fan of these things last year, uh, or not even last year, two years ago at this point, unless, of course, the villain or the, the, the bad person that is hidden, their face is hidden, actually carries over to the other one-shots as well. To start off with, I don't think it was that great, but again, it wasn't that bad either, so I'll give it uh, two out of five bad I think
2: that um, one-shots are very, very tough to, to make it interesting because it's very difficult to make... Uh tell a good story in such a short amount of time but um the good things about this one i thought the joker's commentary you know his introduction i thought it was all quite good i like the way he interacts with the reader through the book i enjoyed the art i thought it was quite stylish bad things i thought the riddler story itself was a little dull The whole love story a bit it didn't quite work for me but uh, i did enjoy the mystery of the villain and the ambiguous ending my thoughts are that it was the riddler himself had playing tricks on himself because he was a bit down in the dumps. But, and it was quite a grim ending as well. So all in all, it's pretty good. Um, it'll be three out of five Batarangs from me.
1: I feel like the Joker as the narrator almost distracts you while reading these stories. And I feel like they might even be stronger if he wasn't, if he wasn't narrating them himself. Because it can be a little misleading sometimes. But I look forward to the next one. So I'll give this two out of five Batarangs.
4: All which is going to give it two out of five Batarangs. All right, the next one we've got is Detective Comics 865. Now, this is the conclusion of the storyline that's been taking place for over a year, just in scattered issues here and there. You know, I got to say, I, I like the direction that Jeremiah Arkham is going, uh, that, they're, that they're taking Jeremiah Arkham. I'm just, I don't know what else they're going to be able to do to make it worthwhile. It worked in this storyline, but he's going to end up just being locked up And I don't know. We'll have to see what happens. Uh, As a conclusion, I think it is interesting that the entire uh, beauties was a hallucination and that was it. That makes it interesting. Although it still doesn't make any sense of why he is evil. Because if he was being manipulated, as soon as he got the antidote, he wouldn't have been like that anymore. But we'll have to see what happens. Uh, Again, not great. I did like the art. Jeremy Hahn's art I, I do appreciate. Uh, so I'll give this three out of five bad rings.
2: I enjoyed it quite a lot. I think um, it was interesting to learn a lot more about Black Mask's motivations. I liked the way it tied into that uh, Arkham Asylum miniseries um, quite a while ago and made that actually worthwhile. And I thought Arkham, Arkham himself was quite malicious at the end with what he did to Mr. Zaz, and um, he looks like he could be an interesting villain for the future. Uh, the co-feature at the end, absolutely terrible. Why hasn't this gone yet? I cannot stand it. I don't even, you know, I, I struggle to read it nowadays. So that brings it down a little bit. But thanks to the good story previously to the co-feature, I'll give it four out of five.
1: Uh, yes, I thought Jeremy Hahn was really good. And I did like the Jeremiah Arkham, how he's used in this. He's a pretty crazy guy. Um, uh, and the co-feature is terrible as usual. I will give the Detective Comics... 865 overall, 3 out of 5 batterings.
4: And uh, I, I didn't even mention the co-feature because it's not even worth mentioning. I despise it and I don't understand why it's still in the book. They should have got rid of it as soon as uh, Batwoman was no longer in the book because it just doesn't fit now. Introducing Huntress to keep it around is just uh, a, a stupid ploy to, to, to have a reason for it to be in the book. On the website, uh, Dane, a new comic book reviewer, also reviewed Detective Comics 865 and he gave it a 3 out of 5 batterings. So that is going to give Detective Comics an overall 3 out of 5 battle gratings. Alright, moving on to Red Hood, The Lost Days. Um, After reading this issue, it seems like this entire six issues is going to be a lot of filler, because that's what this first book, to me, at least seemed like. It seemed like they completely passed up some of the things that they hinted, that they talked about happened to Jason Todd in Batman Annual 25, discussing how Jason came back from the dead and all that it's just you're already supposed to know how it happened you're already supposed to know how he died and then bam here he is and he's on talia's uh doorstep that's that's what we're supposed to you know i didn't like that i think they could have figured out a better way to at least do an introduction especially since they said that this was supposed to be for people who didn't know anything about red hood or jason todd didn't like it can't give this a ton of uh credit but i did like the art in the book Um, I thought the art was very good. So the art picks it up from a two to a three out of five bad I'd
2: have to agree with you Dustin about the point about new people stepping in who didn't know anything about Jason Todd I think it was a case of right so he'd come back from the dead. How? No clue. Okay, great We have no idea how he just did. I mean, I thought that the first issue was very basic He's clearly trying to set things up for the future. We didn't learn a lot at all I did like the interactions with Talia and Raz, but there weren't many of them. There's obviously nothing much coming from Jason as a character at the moment, because he's a bit of a zombie. But as a prologue to before this story really gets started, it was okay. But I think you could quite easily miss out this issue completely and just read number two and see what happens there. Hopefully things are going to start kicking off then. The art was good. I thought it was distinctive and detailed. Um, But all in all, a pretty disappointing start. The question is is this just a publicity stunt for the upcoming animated film and nothing else? Is there any quality here? It's a slow start, and I'm hoping for a lot more from this series because I think it's got some interesting questions to answer. But if we get a similar outcome from issue two as we have here, I'd I'd begin to worry. So it's two... Do you guys give out half Batarangs or not? Yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, I'll give it two and a half Batarangs out of five.
1: Red Hood, The Last Days, number one. Um, This whole series... I don't have high expectations. I have very low expectations for it. Uh, because it's, talking, it's dealing with story, a storyline that I kind of didn't want to remember. But I will have to say that it's, it's, there are certain parts of it that are very surprising. I thought when Winnick did deal with Razal al Ghul and Talia, that it was really good. I think the problem with this is, and the artwork is also very good. The problem is, is that the book's main character, Jason Todd is he's like broken like there's there's nothing there's it just seems like if they really start dealing with that then it maybe could get interesting but um i will say i was surprised but i had very very low expectations so i'll give this two out of five batterings.
4: all right so that's going to give red hood the lost days number one uh, an average of two out of five batterings. moving into superman batman annual number four i thought this was a great story I thought it worked perfectly. I did not really think that Paul Levitt's bringing Batman Beyond into this was going to be decent, but I was pleasantly surprised by it. I thought the you know the the idea of having Superman come in as an older, you know, being older and dealing with Terry McGinnis, I thought it was done perfectly. I thought it was a great story. I'm going to give it four out of five batterings the Superman Batman
1: annual. I thought it was really good, written by Paul Levitz. I thought there were a lot of really good ideas here, and I liked how he portrayed a lot of these characters as they got older. The thing that, to me, this issue was really all about was Levitz kind of displaying his his real love and appreciation for Superman. But I really liked how he tied in the Batman Beyond universe with the future. I thought he did that perfectly, and I thought the artwork was great. Um, I thought all the the main characters looked very iconic, and I liked how he portrayed Terry McGinnis. I thought the issue was really full of story. Like, there wasn't any filler. It progressed throughout, and you have a lot of fun with it. I don't have any complaints about this, uh, so I'll give it 5 out of 5 batterings.
4: And Steve Rogers also gave it 5 out of 5 on the website. So that will give Superman Batman Annual number 4 5 out of 5 (laughs) batterings. Batman number 700, what can I say, I was kind of weary of the fact of when I first, when I read the the preview the day before it came out, and it was talking, you know, we saw images of Batman being chased by these winged Egyptian creatures, I was like, oh no, please don't let this end up being something crazy from Grant Morrison's crazy head. But I, you know, this worked perfectly, you know, it deals with the fact that yes, Batman is, you know... As some people out there would say of realistic character, but it also dives into the idea of he you have to deal with the things that are going on Because he is in the DC universe time travel is possible because the scientist had created it I thought it was well done. I thought it would work perfectly and I got to say the biggest the the well really to me the best thing about this was Grant Morrison making it so that Terry McGinnis fits in to the plan Even though we talked about this uh, in the last uh, Normal Podcast before 700 came out about how can Terry McGinnis actually be introduced into the DC Universe and make sense now that Grant Morrison has made Damien the heir of Batman once Bruce Wayne is no longer Batman and this worked perfectly because it made perfect sense of why things are the way they are and it gave a timeline, a firm timeline of how everything can happen and when things take place. I thought it was done amazing didn't really care about the cover gallery especially since some of the covers are covers that are coming out on issues it's, it would have been nice if it was just pieces of art featuring Batman done specifically for this instead of oh this is a cover that somebody drew that's coming up for an upcoming issue that's it's kind of a cheap cheap way but uh, the diagram of the Batcave, great, it would just be great if it was a little bit more expanded but I know how that is um, this was excellent, I have no complaints over this, 5 out of 5 batterings.
2: I, on the other hand, do have a few complaints about it. I found it quite hard going to read. I am not. I haven't read quite as much as people like Dustin and Zach have, but I'm not an idiot. You know, I've been reading quite consistently for the last two years or so and trying to catch up on all the history, but I found this a real challenge to get through and keep up with everything going on. I had to go back and read it two or three times before I was confident I knew everything that was happening. Um, I know that's what Graham Morrison is like. I know he's a tough one to keep up with, but... I thought for a big issue like that, I was hoping for it to be a little bit more simplified. Um, on all the other points, so it was excellent. It was great to see some of the other Batman. It was great, all the extra stuff at the end of the issue. The art was brilliant. And um, so on most points, it was great, but I wish the story was just a little bit simpler and I would have enjoyed it more. So for me, it's going to be three out of five rings.
1: Oh, boy. You scared me when you said you had problems, because I was restraining myself right there, because I was like, this, I almost, this, when I was thinking about this, I almost turned this into, like, Grant Morrison, Love Letter, but anyway, uh, yeah, Batman 700, I thought it was, I thought it was great, obviously, I'm Grant Morrison's big cheerleader on this podcast, and I've. I just have to say that this issue kind of sums up why I love his run on Batman so much, that he incorporates all of these, all of these different things that happen, has happened throughout the character's history and pulls them together today. I thought the first story, referring it, having this Silver Age homage with the, the villains looking like they came right out of the Silver Age. Uh, Professor Nichols is a Silver Age character. I thought that was great. The problem with it was Tony Daniels' did not artwork did not fit that story the second story with Frank quietly I thought was much better the artwork fit well Um, again it that story also reiterated why I think Morrison is the best at writing the the Dick and Damien relationship and I think that's why it makes Batman and Robin so much fun the problem I had with that was is that Scott Collins comes in at some point and even though he has this kind of really neat like animated series like style it throws everything off for me Um, the third story Andy Hubert what can I say? I think he was the best artist in this book. He was consistent throughout. I thought it was really interesting. And then David Finch coming at at the end with the, the even further future story, which, like Dustin said, ties in Batman Beyond perfectly. I just felt like this was, it was, I will say this was confusing. I did have to read this like two or three times to really get everything that was going on. But I felt like it was worth it. So I can't complain about this, so I'll give it five out of five batterings.
4: Okay, and also on the website, Dane, as I mentioned, the new comic book reviewer also gave it 5 out of 5 batterings. So that is going to give Batman 700 5 out of 5 batterings. <laughs> Moving on to Batman Return of Bruce Wayne number 2. This one, okay, so we go from Grant Morrison, Great... Grant Morrison, not so great. I didn't really like this. Um, I'm not going to say it was a horrible issue. There was a, like this book, I did have to go back multiple times and reread it to figure out what the heck was going on. Mostly because of the language that was being used and some of the, the dialect that he was trying to incorporate. Um, it, it was hard to try to follow what was going on. But also, there were certain parts that didn't make sense the first time around. Some of them didn't even make the second time around. But after the third time, it started to come together. The thing that I didn't like about this was all the the, the uh, you know the time the time group with Batman and Booster Gold. I don't understand why they had to be in the book. They have their own series going, or they have their own mini series talking about this. Why do they need to be in the book? Why can't we just focus on Bruce? being in these different time periods i personally didn't like the art but that's nothing against the artist it was it was good art it just it wasn't my cup of tea so uh i'm going to give this uh three out of five batterings.
2: i thought this one was really strange um the story was okay quite interesting um the artwork i thought looked great in some bits but then other parts like for instance superman I thought it looked very odd. Didn't really work to me. It's all hunched over. Looks very strange. But then the archivist, or archivist, um, I thought it looked fantastic. Um, do you, what do you call the guys with the hats? It's not pilgrims, is it? Uh, the Puritans. Puritans. That's it. Puritans. I thought the Puritans got very confusing with the art. I wasn't sure which one was Bruce Wayne throughout part of this book, and uh, had to be very careful as to who figuring out who was who. Um, and also, I'd agree with Dustin—the stuff with Superman. I wish he would <laughs> go away and just we'd focus on Bruce Wayne for this. But as typical with Grant Morrison, it's confusing. But at least I know I've got four more issues to try and keep up with this. Um, so all in all, I'd give it four out of five.
1: Like Nick, I thought Fraser Irving was really good and fit this book at certain times. But then when he's drawing these these Puritans, I was couldn't tell who was who at times. Um, I thought the Puritans too, it it got a little whole witchcraft, the devil, devil, devil heavy with this Brother Malice guy. Um, But I thought the story was pretty good. And then the part where it reveals that he is really Nathaniel Wayne, I thought was also really interesting. And I liked how the issue ended with leaving Bruce in the hands of Blackbeard. Um, so overall, I will give this four out of five batterings.
4: All right, so that's going to give Batman: The Return of Bruce Wayne number two four out of five batterings. <laughs> Moving into Gotham City Sirens, there's nothing unique about this issue. I mean, it is kind of nice to see the somewhat of a conclusion forming from what we saw in the Catwoman number eighty-three during Blackest Night uh, in January. It's nice to see a conclusion, but it's almost as if well, why do we wait so long for this? The Poison Ivy thing, I don't really find... I I find it to be kind of a waste of time. It's almost as if they were running out of things to have Poison Ivy do, so they gave her this job so that they would have her be able to do something. And Harley Quinn is literally nothing but a sidekick, and Catwoman has really been the focus. Not just this issue, mostly because of the fact that we're dealing with Catwoman's sister, but the fact that... uh, In the last couple issues, it really seems like Catwoman's been the focus, and nobody else. So, uh, nothing special about this. Two out of five batterings.
1: What can I say about Gotham City Sirens? I'll continue to say this is not the kind of book I enjoy reading, and that's—I think—all I really should have to say. This one out of five batterings.
4: All right, so that's going to give it one and a half out of five (laughs) batterings. All right, moving into Red Robin number 13. I thought this was great. It incorporated... Fabian came back on the book led by, you know, led... Was out of the gate with something worthwhile. Incorporated things that were happening during his run on Robin back into the book that have been overlooked over for the past year. I enjoyed this book immensely, and I'm looking forward to what's going to happen in future issues with uh, Tim train to figure out what to do with these different people, that you know his hit list per se. Uh, great book, four out of five batterings.
2: Yeah, I um, I enjoyed this book. Unlike uh, Red Robin number one a year or so ago, I feel like we've got a lot of direction with this series. I think we feel like we know where it's going. We've got a writer who seems to know the character very well, and hopefully it will be consistent. Unlike the you know the previous writers run so to me it's a book and a series i'm looking forward to over the next year or so and um hopefully it'll be you know to to bring out a lot of uh interesting traits in tim drake's character Uh, the art was good it seems like there's a a plan ahead and uh, i'm looking forward to the future for this book so it's one of my favorites at the moment so for me it's um i'm debating between four or five i think i'll go for five out of five from me
1: yeah, Red Robin number 13. Uh I wasn't surprised by how good it was just because I know that Fabian can write Tim even though he can't write Azrael, but that's okay. I thought the artwork was really good. I you can see that there's a direction here. I I think this book is going to really start to rise and become become it'll become a really essential to the rest of the, the Batman universe. Not to say that it wasn't, but it wasn't as it wasn't as essential, I guess. So, I, I will give this book five out of five batterings
0: i liked fabian's return to tim drake i liked the little things of tim examining the life in gotham now that there's the brand new status quo with dick in the jla and stuff like that would have liked to have seen more of tim's new role as basically the new head honcho of wayne enterprises but hey we still have more issues in the run for that enjoyed this new issue enjoyed i liked tim's list And I think that that's going to become important, and they address little things like him wondering if he has a place in the Teen Titans or not, stuff like that. The whole undercover Hong Kong cop, uh, I don't really know how well that fits, but since Fabian was writing her for a while, I wonder if that was even his plan back at the days of the regular Robin title. This was an enjoyable issue, but it didn't overwhelm me too much. So for my review wrap-up, I'm going to have to give it it 4 out of 5 batterings.
4: All right, so that's going to give Red Robin number 13 5 out of 5 batterings. Batgirl number 11. It was nice to see in the first couple pages of this issue the, you know, Oracle, what could have been, like, uh, you know, kind of what could have been your life if uh, things didn't turn out the way they were. But honestly, I don't know that that can make up for the fact that I'm just really tired of the calculator being in this book. I don't like the, how this book is somehow taking a focus away from Batgirl and putting it on Oracle when Oracle has Birds of Prey now. Uh, so the sooner Oracle can be eased out or at least given a lesser role in this book, the, the happier I'll be. Um, and the sooner they get calculator out of the complete DC universe, I'd be happy. They just need to come up with, like, uh, someone to go in and kill him because I'm really getting tired of his character. The Batgirl sequences were great. I had no complaints about them. I thought they were great, and I like the fact that Wendy Harris is, is going to somehow... She actually could be, or like, what Oracle is for Stephanie Brown. She could be the person sitting at the cave doing the stuff what Oracle does as Oracle... Goes off and does the birds of prey stuff and it has nothing to do with Batgirl anymore, which will happen. It's bound to happen. It's just a matter of when and where. So three out of five batarangs.
1: I, I agree. Batgirl it needs to shift more towards Stephanie Brown. It seems like it's starting. It's been shifting away. Calculator definitely needs to go. Oracle almost needs to to take like like the Bruce Wayne role in Batman Beyond. It they're there. They are involved. But the book's not really about them, and it seems like this book is becoming more and more about Oracle and less about Stephanie Brown, and it needs to go in the reverse. Um, so I'll give this two out of five batterings.
0: The art was good. I like the banter between Wendy and Stephanie. I don't know if they're trying to conclude Batgirl Rising by putting Barbara squarely in Birds of Prey and having Wendy take over the mentor role that Barbara's doing, which wouldn't really make sense in Batgirl. I don't know what they're doing with this, but it was fun to see the two interact, and I liked Stephanie fighting the different Gotham heroes like Man-Bat, Huntress, and Catwoman. The Dreamworld stuff, eh, I'm I'm just tired of seeing Barbara go up against the calculator. It's been done to death. I did like the little uh, stuff, like putting her in her Silver Age gear in the library. It actually would have been nice to see more of Barbara's Dreamworld. I'm going to give this 4 out of 5
4: Batarangs. The interesting thing is you saying that you know that she has to take that Oracle should take that that uh, role where she you know she, it's just yeah. basically a backup character. Right. Uh, I completely agree with that, and I think that's what the intent was. The problem is I think that Miller is actually starting to struggle with things to do to make Stephanie Brown relevant, and what he needs to do is take a store uh, take a page out of Fabian's book and s- start creating things so that. Uh, Stephanie has a worthwhile uh, universe within her own book, instead of it having to be everywhere. And if you look back, he did that at some point. He created these people at the college. He created these people, uh, you know, Detective Nick Gauge. He introduced these new people, but they're the, he's not really like following them because it's, we're going off on this weird fork in the road where we're taking we're going back to Oracle and the calculator for the 50th gazillionth time. So anyway, uh, backroll two and a half out of five batterings. That's the average. Finally, outsiders number thirty. I have nothing to say but crap. Zero <laughs> out of five batterings.
1: Yes, um, it is. It is crap, as Dustin said so eloquently. Um, yeah, Dan De get away from the writer, the writing table. You should be doing. You should be. You should be doing your twenty questions, not writing from cup of beans or whatever. Don't 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 touch don't touch a pencil ever again. Or a pen. Whatever you write with. Just 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 get away from all writing utensils. Outsiders zero out of five
4: batterings. Alright, so outsiders zero out of five batterings. Alright, so that's gonna take us into Bat Books for Beginners and Nick's gonna tell us Bat Books for Beginners.
2: Thank you Dustin, I've just legged it over to my own personal studio here. And today I'm looking at The Cult, which was published in 1988. It consisted of four issues and was written by Jim Starlin, illustrated by Bernie Wrightson and coloured by Bill Ray. Now, last time on Book for Beginners we had The Killing Joke. Probably one of the best books ever. Now, how is this one going to stand up against that? Let's find out. Now the story follows the machinations of Deacon Blackfire and his band of homeless follow- followers who have kidnapped Batman before the events of this story. We are told of stories of a figure resembling Deacon Blackfire a thousand years ago who was sent by God but the sinners trapped him in a cave. He was eventually released several hundred years ago. We learn Deacon Blackfire is brainwashing and assembling an army of homeless people in the sewers which actually removes all crime in the city. However, he is executing criminals in his own brand of justice and trying to convince Bruce that it works. Batman now is brainwashed and following the Deacon's orders such as raids on the surface, watching murders and not preventing them. He does, however, feel something is wrong and is struggling to cope, hallucinating some pretty crazy stuff. A TV report states that Jim Gordon is looking to arrest Deacon Blackfire, but the public are happy that criminals are disappearing in Gotham. The Deacon, angry with this, blows up the mayor in his car. Batman then manages to break out of his mind control and investigates the Deacon's underworld empire, but he is caught and sent to be executed. However, Batman escapes into the dark sewers, and Jason Todd goes to find him in the dark. He does find him eventually amongst a huge pile of bodies, presumably, all of the deaths that Deacon Blackfire has committed whilst he's been down there. And Batman is still dipping in and out of reality. Jason and Batman flee through the sewers and are attacked by the underdwellers under but manage to defeat them. The National Guard arrive in Gotham as the city is put under martial law. However, they struggle to handle the situation and are forced outside the city's borders. Blackfire's men come out the sewer and realise the city is empty and they've won. Even Batman flees with Jason saying Gotham has fallen and they have lost. A week later, we hear from TV reports of the evil empire that Deacon Blackfire has created in Gotham, killing many in a similar way to the Nazi regime. Bruce decides to go back and save the city. He builds a huge tank like Batmobile and arms himself and Robin with tranquilizer machine guns. They storm Gotham, attack many of the underdwellers, they head down to the sewers, and Batman faces Deacon. He doesn't kill him when he learns that the Deacon what's wants a glorious death to become a martyr to his people. Instead, Batman beats him to inflict maximum pain, and secretly enjoys it. Deacon shows weakness in this and begs for mercy. His army of underdwellers then turn on him and rip him to pieces. Batman leaves, having saved Gotham from one of its darkest moments. I thought the cult was a very brutal and stark and dark story, but it was absolutely enthralling. There's perhaps a little bit too much relying on talking head news reports that look and feel very similar to The Dark Knight Returns, as does the whole book. But uh, Batman, I think, has rarely been pushed to these limits, and it's refreshing to see that it's not some hokey plot involving people from Bruce's childhood. This is Batman at his lowest, and it takes a good 50 pages for him to recover, even after he's free of the cult. The story I felt had a timeless feel to it, I thought that Bernie Wrightston, most famous for co-creating The Swamp Thing, depicts true horror in this book, but while his art is impressive, it's severely hamstrung, I think, by the colouring technology available at the time. It'd be interesting to see how, what differences would happen to this book if it was made today. Um, and this detracts a little from its case for entering the uh, Hall of Fame of Batman books, but fam- but fans certainly shouldn't miss it. Um, the plotting and the script are very tight. It has a very claustrophobic feel, and a story arc that's more horror thriller than superhero traditionally. It remains a very worthy title, I think. Um, it's got a very, it's got a non-linear nature of storytelling at the start, especially. It sort of thrusts us into Batman's situation as he's held captive. I thought it was a good start. The dips into the psychosis for Batman are interesting, both as a writer it uh, means you can do a few slightly different things, it also means um, you can explore Batman's uh, psychology a bit and also gives the artist some interesting opportunities to experiment. We get to see Bruce Boat broken as I said, we don't get to see this very often. Um, I thought Jason Todd, his lines were a little bit cheesy, like he says things like time to boogie and let's party. He is different though, and a little bit immature in this book, but it's nice to see a difference from Dick Grayson as the Robin, since we know Jason Todd's not going to be a Robin much longer. I thought the huge Batman tank was very cool, very similar to the Tumbler we've seen in the recent films. I thought Deacon Blackfire was a great villain. Who is he? Where did he come from? No idea. Very intriguing very few answers, and you start to think, is he the devil? I think the writer was going down that direction. All in all, a good book. Interested from start to finish, I certainly was. It was a good length, it was a different way of telling a good story, the artwork was different too, different from what you're used to, and you really get to see Bruce Wayne struggle. It's not the killing joke, but it's not way off. So for me, it's going to be four out of five Batarangs. I hope you enjoyed that review of Batman The Cult, I thought it was a very worthy book, and one that maybe a lot of fans will overlook, and one they should definitely check out. Next time I'll be looking at another milestone in the Batman family's history, in Batman A Death in the Family, where I think we all know Jason Todd's going to struggle a little bit. So, until then, I've been Nick, I'm just going to leg it back to the regular Batman Universe Studios, and uh, I'll see you next time.
4: So that was Bat Books for Beginners. Let's get into our upcoming releases for the next two weeks. On June 23rd, we have Batman The Return of Bruce Wayne, number 3, Batman Arkham Asylum Madness, Batman Streets of Gotham, number 13, Detective Comics, number 866, The Joker's Asylum, Killer Croc, Superman Batman, number 73, and The World's Finest Trade Paperback. Uh, on June 30th, we have Batman Robin, number 13, Batman The Brave and the Bold, number 18, Batman 1. Elegy Deluxe Edition trade paperback, and Gotham City Sirens number 13, as well as the Joker's Asylum Clayface. As far as what we will be covering on the next podcast, we will be covering the Joker's Asylum Harley Quinn, Azrael number 9, Batman Beyond number 1, Birds of Prey number 2, the Joker's Asylum Mad Hatter, the Joker's Asylum Killer Croc, Batman The Return of Bruce Wayne, number three. Batman Streets of Gotham, number 13. Detective Comics, number 866. Superman Batman, number 73. And if it turns out well, uh, hopefully we'll be doing Batman Arkham Asylum Madness as well. Uh, But we might actually hold off on doing that if it is in fact released and it actually is a graphic novel that's 112 pages. We might hold off on doing that one next episode just because there's so many issues to cover. Um, So that's everything for this episode. A reminder, if you're looking to do the quiz show, please send us an email. We're hoping to get that underway very shortly. So if you've been holding out, now is the time to get your email in to let us know that you want to be involved in that. We also are still looking for comic reviewers. We have one new guy. Dane has been on the blog side of the website posting uh, reviews. We also have two new ones which will also be posting reviews soon as well. But hey, we're always looking for more people because it's never, you know, no life takes sudden turns and you can't always... Count on everybody doing everything. That's just the way it works. We know that better than anybody. So you can send us an email at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. Comic-Con is right around the corner. If you are interested in doing a bat meet of sorts at Comic-Con. Send us an email as well and let us know that you want to do that. We are going to be taking those emails until the 1st of July, and then after that, we'll decide whether or not it's going to happen, a formal or informal manner, depending on what happens. Besides that, you can go on to iTunes and leave us a review. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And, like I said, email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net for any questions, comments, or concerns that you might have. So that's everything. This is Dustin. This is Nick. And this is Zach. You've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys next time.
2: Keep on trucking.
4: Take care, everyone. Zach,
1: you can hear me, right? Now we can. Now okay. we can. All right. I thought my mic was muted, and it actually wasn't. So. Okay. I'm Do having a have good any- day. No, any- I don't have anything to say. <laughs> okay. right. And no one spoke. Is no one's and no one spoke is greater than the other? Oh. <laughs> God, Mike Mars.
4: And no, <laughs> oh my oh, this is comic book resources' fault. They don't have a decent editor to fix these kind of
2: things. I could totally see him saying this, though. But is there anything you can say about what's on tap there? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. Good question. So, this has really nothing to do with the interview,
4: but I have to say, if Mike Marts replied to these questions in an email, which is extremely likely given the base of the questions. Um, he spelled Jason Bourne correctly. He's just spelled it incorrectly. What did I just say? Correctly? Yeah. yeah. It's there's a U. I was yeah. gonna be I, sarcastic. I meant incorrectly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> just I just, right, just just cut that. All yeah. Out, I just I just <laughs> I'm looking at
1: this interview. There's so much talk about Azriel Who the hell gives a about Azriel <laughs> and then they bring up I- outsiders and Tommy Elliott. Like Tommy Elliott's gonna be its own book eventually.
2: Like what what is what is going on here? The Adventures of Tom. Well there's and no is, there's no Zach Josh, the-
1: so yes. I will be I won't be as Belligerent. Talkable. Yeah, I guess so.
3: <laughs> Josh
1: is the catalyst for all the problems on this show. I just agreed. Agreed. I just gotta throw Yeah. Out.
2: I think that's well established. It gets me going. So.